Cameron asked me which mic I wanted to use, and I said I wanted to use the lapel mic. He said, the one that Jim Michaels used. I said, yeah, that one. I want my voice to sound like his as well. <laughs> you can let me know how that worked out. A couple of quick stories for you. Sir. Sir. Oh. I told him to do jumping jacks or whatever he needed to do to get my attention. Is that okay? Very good. All right. So, a couple of quick stories for you real quick, and then we're going to make some points about these stories. I was on a job site, and uh, most of you know I'm a carpenter, and there was a board with several big nails stuck up through it. And I commonly take my foot, not my hammer, take my foot and just fold those nails over. It's real easy to do if you're paying attention. Notice the word paying attention. <laughs> and I'd already folded two nails over. There was one more left. And as I was about to do it, a car drove by and it got my attention and I looked up like, I wonder who that is. And about that time I went, put my foot right on that nail and it went straight through my foot. There was a fellow that was working with me at that time. Uh, some of you may know this guy's name, Ron Pirtle. He was with me and he saw me about pass out and I needed to go to the doctor. I said, I'll drive myself. He's no, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to take you. You might pass out in traffic. You don't look good at all. Another quick story. I had a four-wheeler I wanted to sell. Needed, I wanted to get rid of it. It's an older one. It's not very popular anymore. Uh, not many people want it. I didn't want it anymore either. I wanted something new and better. It took a while to finally move that machine, but I finally sold it. And then finally, I was reading lately, and I came across uh, an interesting uh, bit of information I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of the Beverly Clock. It was a clock that was invented in 1864 by Arthur Beverly, I believe over in Scotland. And the way this clock worked, it's got a rubber diaphragm in it. And this rubber diaphragm, in essence, it breathes. And as it expands and contracts, it moves the counterweight. And the counterweight, therefore, operates the clock. This clock never has to be wound, never. Um, it's been running ever since that time. The only time that it's ever been stopped is when they stop it physically to clean it and do maintenance on it and stuff. Okay, so you think, what in the world? <laughs> Those three crazy stories. Well, they all have one thing in common in the title of this lesson, just one. It took just one moment of inattention for me to injure myself. It's a common phrase among uh, carpenters and woodworkers and things like that, it only takes one moment of inattention. An experienced carpenter, he could be working in his shop for 30 plus years, I've heard it many, many times. Got all 10 fingers, 30 years. He gets complacent, he gets relaxed, takes his thumb right off. I know of a man that did that very thing. That four-wheeler, I only needed one buyer. That's all I had to have, it's just one buyer. When someone's got a house for sale or something like that, and they're getting exasperated by it, they say, just remember, you only need just one buyer. That's all it takes. And then this clock, like many, many things that we know of, it only took one person to come up with that idea. Penicillin, you can think of. So many things, the lights, whatever the case is, things that have been invented throughout time. 
it only took one person to come up with that idea. I want to make I want to take those things because this way my mind works and make some spiritual applications from them because it's kind of been standing out these conclusions I've come into that it only takes just one of so many things. Well, first of all, in kind of a correlation to this one moment of inattention, it only takes one sin. We know from Genesis chapter uh, 3 and beginning, we see in Genesis 1 through 6, that when Adam and Eve allowed sin to enter the world, and we are told in Romans 5, 18 and 19, for by one man's offense, judgment came to all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So taking me down this same path of thinking about the issue of allowing, what happens when we allow just one sin to come into, that we fall for, that we give in to. Um, and so I think about several issues throughout the scriptures of different characters in the, the Bible that we know of who gave in to just that one moment of inattention to what they knew better to do that one sin that they allowed themselves to fall for. If we think, for example, in 2 Samuel of King David, we go to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. We know this story of where David allowed himself to give in to this uh, temptation that he was distracted by when he saw Bathsheba bathing. We know of the many consequences that, that came from that situation where he allowed himself to give in to this weakness, if you will. Where he, and then we know of the many consequences that he endured over time by just giving in to that one situation. And then opposing that, we think of Joseph. And we think of Joseph and we learn in, verse, in chapter 39 that he did not allow himself to give in to that and he fled from it. And so we have these two opposing uh, situations here where one had the opportunity and he allowed himself to give in to it that one moment and then we see the other one. In some regards it was even a greater temptation and he withstood it and he did what we see in the scriptures, he fled from it. If we go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning. First, 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, in verse 18, we are told, Flee sexual immorality, for every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And so we see this with what um, Joseph did. He fled from this situation. And then we go over to uh, 2 Timothy in chapter 2. 2 Timothy in, in chapter 2, in verse 22, we see, Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, without those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So again, we see this fleeing, this youthful lust that we are continually told throughout the scriptures to do. But if you notice, he says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you in James chapter 4 and verse 17. So that tells us 
not only are we supposed to do it, but how this will work for us if we flee this situation, if we resist the devil, and that he will flee from you. Well, if we go over to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to run through several of the epistles real quick. In Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, uh, evil, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand that I've told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then if we run over to Ephesians chapter 5, Verses 3 through 5. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, nor is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolishness, nor talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things, for the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And then jumping over again uh, to Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves were once walked and when you uh, lived in them. And then one more, real quickly, in 1 Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, because, because the, word, the Lord is an avenger of all such and we are forewarned, uh, and we also forewarned you and testified. Okay, so I've spent a lot of time talking about the possibilities of giving in to this one sin. And then I also mentioned the point that James tells us to flee these things and to flee this, the evil one, and we will not be taken in by these. So my question is this. Are you and I, in this world that we live in, and that we are being we are submerged into all of these types of things, are we doing things to flee? Are we watching what we watch on television? Are we being careful about the things that we're allowing to come into our hearts that affect us? We know from out of the heart these things proceed. Are we being careful? Are we doing the things to keep... Satan from allowing these temptations to come into us. We talk about it with King David. He allowed himself in this time of inactivity where he should have been busy doing other things. Are we keeping ourselves so full of righteous and good things and not allowing this garbage that the world is feeding us to distract us? 
Because the more we think about these things and the more we feed on these things, the more likely we're going to give in to them. And all it takes is that one moment of distraction, that one moment of inattention that we could fall for these things. And you think about how much time is devoted into scriptures to warn us about this. If we consider that and we think about how much time we, the scriptures has devoted to warning us, it seems to me that that's a very, very good uh, idea of the caution we should be taking against that. And then we go on to another temptation, another situation that we know that is a great danger as well, a sin that has taken over mankind throughout the generations. And again, I would point out that we see these things starting from the beginning of time, from Genesis throughout the Scriptures. This is not something that's new that the world has introduced to us either. Another situation is this idea of drunkenness. Now, we go all the way back to uh, Genesis 9, and we see where Noah allowed himself to become inebriated. And we see some sins that take place because of that. We see a long-lasting results that take place with that with Canaan. And so it's not something that's new under the sun, if you will. It's something that's been plaguing man from the beginning of time. And so we see in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, we once walked in lewdness as the Gentiles, lust and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable things. And then we can go over to Romans, I believe it is in chapter 13, that mentions a similar Romans 13 and 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Um, we could go on to, to Galatians 5 when it speaks of drunkenness and that uh, Galatians in 5 and 21 again. Galatians um, 5 and 21, we are told that we read before, not to, this whole, in, in this laundry list, of, of sins and temptations, drunkenness is put right in there with it as well. And then also we, take, we can consider some of the effects of this drunkenness that takes place. If we go over to Proverbs, Proverbs does a nice job of, of spelling this out for us. In Proverbs, let's see, in Proverbs 20 in, in verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And then if we jump over to uh, chapter 23, Proverbs 23, 31 and 32. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls so smoothly. At last it bites like a serpent and, serpent and stings like a viper. A couple of points about this. Again, the scriptures warn and we see results of drunkenness over and over again. Drunkenness does not take place without that first drink. Without that moment of inattention and giving in to that, drunkenness does not take place. Now here's the, here's the irony of what the world tells us. And you guys have probably, I'm sure, have seen these things. And you'll see it even on the side of their big trucks and stuff. It says, drink responsibly. Now, don't you find it ironic that they are telling you to drink something responsibly that causes you to lose your senses and don't do things responsibly? That it is a mocker? That it makes a fool of you? 
there was a bicycle shop here in Murfreesboro. Went in there one time, and they had a whole stack of bumper stickers on the counter that they were giving away and stuff. And the slogan was, and you've seen this slogan, share the road. They want you to share the road. You know, when you're on your bicycle, they want people with motorists to give them a little leeway and go around them. It's the law and things. But here's the ironic thing about that. Down at the bottom of that bumper sticker, it was sponsored by Murfreesboro Ales and Spirits. <laughs> and so I asked the guy, I said, so you want us to share the road with the drunk? <laughs> and he's like, you can't drink responsibly. It, it's, one, it's that slippery slope that people get on. And then once they get on it, but the world wouldn't have us believe that. The world would have us. And even a lot of uh, religions, we'll say, denominations and such of the world, they want to, to, to feed us that and say, it's okay, you just have to do it responsibly. And stuff. Well, if we go back to Noah, Noah, by all intents and purposes, was in the privacy of his home. And it still ended up costing. If he'd have never taken that uh, alcoholic drink, if you will, then that strong drink, that would have never happened to begin with. Well, going to another one. Going all the way back into time, to the situation, from the beginning of time, people have been that moment of inattention and given in to anger. We see that with Esau. I mean, I'm sorry, first we saw it with Cain. And then we see the situation with Esau and Jacob as well. But in one sense, with Cain and Abel, we, understand, we could look and say, well, that was not even any sense of the imagination justifiable where he slew his brother. But then with Esau and Jacob, you could say where, where Esau wanted to kill his brother, you could say, well, I could probably see that. I'd probably want to kill my brother too for taking away my birthright. But it's still not justifiable. It's never justifiable to give in to, to anger to allow us uh, to sin. And so we know that throughout scriptures again, we see in Colossians in 3 and 8, but as now as a new man, you're to put off these things, and it lists anger and wrath and malice. We see in Psalm 4 and 4, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart and on your bed and be still. And then that takes us over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 Ephesians 4 and 26, Be angry and do not sin, that quotation, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And so there's a situation where we may even have a, a justifiable anger, if you will, but we don't have a right to act out on it to, and to cause us to sin. And we see so much of that going on in our world today even. And, and they, they want to... Um, point to other things. The world wants to point to other things as why it might be. Even this pandemic situation we're in right now. And they say, well, it's, it's, it's because people are, are fed up. They're, they're, um, they're impatient right now. They're exasperated with all the situations. That may be a little bit of it, but I don't think so overall. People are selfish. People are selfish. Um, and that's what leads to a lot of these things that we see in the world. And, and how dare you, you cut me off? How dare you get there in front of me? And if you, if you person puts their signal on, and boy, don't get me started, my wife will tell you. You put your signal on, and they'll cut you off just because they don't want you in front of them. 
and things of that nature and stuff. But it, it, it's a lot of what the world teaches and pushes at us. And then just like with the drinking and driving, once we, once we act on it, then they say it's not okay. But the scriptures push over and over again not to, to act out on this and stuff. And so this particular passage when it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. This is the S-U-N. This is the big bright thing in the sky. This is the sun it's talking about. But I would suggest to you that the Bible teaches us, let the sun go down on our wrath, the S-O-N, the, our Father's in heaven's son. In Romans in chapter 12, we go over to Romans chapter 12, a familiar passage, of course, to us and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> beginning in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of wrath on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'll make another point about that in just a moment. But let's take this one step further. Instead of speaking about this situation of anger. Of course, there is anger that we act out on. We act out on it in some way or another. But also, we just express our anger that does just as much damage in our words. And James, a familiar passage again, teaches us. In James chapter 1, we are told, uh, let me get it right so I don't misquote it. Verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce righteousness of God. And then, of course, also we understand from our studies in James in chapter 3, the things that we say, the damage that they can do. It is said that it, our tongue is this little fire that can, that can burn down a forest, if you will. And we use this same tongue that we and I say we as, as brethren, and uh, I'm not condemning anyone, I'm just using it as a general term, but we bless God with one, in one minute, and then the next minute we curse men. And it says in verse 10, this ought to not be so. But if you drop down into also the verse 17 and 18, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Think of the contrast of the two. The one side, we do so much damage, especially when we, when we act out and say things we ought not in anger. And then the, the opposing of that is how much good we can do if we control our words and we speak the things that are righteous as well. I know you all can probably think of many examples of situations like that, but one that happened to me not too long ago, and I'm very ashamed of it, and I'll just tell you right now my behavior. I was in Walmart in the early morning, and uh, it was like 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, 
One hardly, I mean, basically nobody in there. One register open, you know, they got 30 registers and they'll have one open. They stood in line. The girl, the cashier, um, needless to say, she looked very worldly. Let's put it that way. Multicolored hair, a lot of piercings. And stuff. She had a horrible, what appeared to me, a horrible attitude. And she just could care less to be there, what it appeared to me. And when I got up to the register, not only did she just, you know, barely mumble anything and stuff, she didn't make eye contact. I paid with cash, and when, when I, she went to hand me my change, she never even looked at me, she just went and dropped it like that. It was really, it infuriated me, her behavior. I didn't like it. And so I didn't... For life, I didn't really uh, say anything really bad, mind you, but I did, I did tell her, I said, you've got a very bad attitude. And I turned around and I walked off. But even after I thought about that, it made me feel bad because <clears throat> I don't know what that girl had been through that night or that morning. I, she may have needed somebody to reach out to her. I said she looked very worldly. She, was, she obviously, by her attire and the way she presented herself, she wasn't a model Christian by a long shot in that, at that moment anyway, but I don't know that. I could have turned that situation. I know people who have that a talent that is, is, is just, it's, it's just immediate. They have the ability to turn a situation. To, and it, what if I had said, you don't appear to be having a very good morning. Is there anything that I could do to help it make it better? I'm sorry you don't feel well. You know, just anything to reach out, to turn that situation around. But I let my frustration get the better of me and stuff, and I felt terrible about that. And I hope to do better in the future and not let my anger get away with me, my frustrations get away from me, because back to verse 18. Now, the fruit of righteousness is shown, sown in peace by those who make peace. I could have done a whole, a whole lot better job of sowing righteousness instead of adding to her frustrations. Well, going further then, considering, so we've talked about the one sin. Well, let's talk about the one Savior. We know that there is one Savior. In John, 1 John in 14, 1 John chapter 1, verse 14. I got that wrong, don't I? 4 and 14. There we go. 4 and 14. And we have seen and testified of the Father has sent His Son, the Savior of the world. And then we can go over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter in chapter 1. Verses 2 through 11, actually we see that uh, grace and peace will be multiplied to you by the, the knowledge of our God and Jesus Christ our Lord as His divine power that has been given to us all that pertain to life and to godliness to the knowledge of Him who has called us by His glory and virtue by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that take these that you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world but also for this very reason, given diligence, add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, 
perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For these things are yours and abound in you and will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and have forgotten that he was cleansed from his old, old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For the entrance will be supplied to you abundantly and everlasting for Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have this Savior who's afforded us all of these things. Um, and he supplies the way. And so just as I mentioned before, this idea of this one buyer, all I needed was one buyer. We have one Savior, and He is our Redeemer. He buys us back, and He's our propitiation. He's, he has satisfied, and He's appeased the debt that we owe. If we go to Romans in chapter, let's see, Romans chapter 3. Romans 3 and 25. For God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were pre previously committed. And then we can also uh, look at Hebrews in chapter 2 and verse 7. Hebrews 2 and 7. If I have, did I ever see that? 17, I'm sorry, 2, 17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be, be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so we have this propitiation, but we also see that he is this redeemer. If we go to, say, uh, Titus 2 and 11. Going the wrong way. Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, whom he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for God, for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And so we see that we have this one Savior, this one Redeemer that has bought us back and is a propitiation for us. And so there is our buyer from the other illustration. Also, we have we, all we need in these things. When we consider these things, we need one teacher. And just as that inventor the inventor of this Beverly clock, one person had to have that idea and to teach others how to use that, but carrying this a little bit further, we think about ourselves and for others. All they need is one teacher to teach them. Naaman, all because of one little girl who had knowledge that he could use. She managed to get that knowledge to him and because of that knowledge, he was cleansed of his leprosy and he came to believe. Also in Acts chapter 26 through 36, Derek did an excellent job of reading that for us. And I really appreciate that, him taking the time to get through that long reading for us. The Ethiopian eunuch, he asked, how can I know? How can I understand these things without someone to guide me? And Philip guided him through this. 
and he helped him to get to that point of understanding. To the, and then he got to the point that he understood enough to say, what hinders me from being baptized? He needed just one teacher. And then in Acts 18, 26, uh, we understand the situation with Aquila and Priscilla. Um, I'll get my thought right in just a moment here. If we go, to, let me go there real quick. So I've, I've, I've got myself sidetracked. <laughs> yes, Acts eighteen twenty six. Um, so we back up to verse twenty four. Now there's a certain uh, Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he had desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly and showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so we take these three situations. We take Naaman. He wasn't searching, and this little girl got him the information that he needed. The Ethiopian eunuch, he was searching, but he still needed help, and Philip was able to uh, help him. And then we have Apollos. He had a great understanding. He was a believer, but he needed some help getting on further past. And so... Each one needed someone to help them gain more knowledge to get further and stuff. And so the question I would have in this one teacher, are we not called also to be uh, teachers as well? And uh, if we go to, uh, say, Romans, Romans chapter 10, we see this uh, very familiar passage as well in verse 14 through 17. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall uh, they preach uh, unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach, uh, preach of, who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And so we see in verse 16, For they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says the Lord has... The Lord who has believed our report. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And have we not all been called to be teachers? In so many instances of the scriptures. But we are told in Second Peter 2 and 9 that we're all royal priests. We all have a job to be doing as well. And all it takes is just one teacher. Thinking back to this little girl again. She had knowledge. She was small, simple girl, but she had knowledge that, that Naaman needed. Each one of us have knowledge that someone needs. As you can see right now, I'm not an eloquent teacher, but I have confidence that I can teach someone something, and then what I can't teach them, I can get them to someone like Leland or David or some of these other men and women here who can better do a job of explaining. Not all of us have the ability to be a great teacher but all of us have the ability to teach someone to get them further down the road I love ever since I heard this one saying it has always resonated with me I'm just a beggar showing others where I found bread we can all take someone 
and show them the way to help them get to where they need to be with the Lord as well. Conclusion, the teacher can and will help come to understand that there's also one body, there's one spirit. We talked about this morning. There's one faith. As you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all and in you all, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. We can do these things. It only takes one, but we have to be careful not to give in to that one's sin. We have to rely on the Son, our Savior, our Redeemer, to help us to keep from giving in to those things. And we need to be busy teaching others. Each one of us, we can be just that one that helps someone else get to heaven. And speaking of getting to heaven, there's one repentance. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'm not preaching and teaching one faith that saves. And once saved, always saved. Let me correct myself. If we have a sin in our lives, if we, conf- if we confess it and we repent of it, God is faithful to forgive us. And he will forget it. That's not to say that we won't deal with consequences from it. Whether it's haunting us in our mind as David dealt with. Whether it's things that we're not allowed to do as David was allowed to do anymore. There's so many situations of it. But as far as our standing with God, he'll forgive us. And he won't hold it against us anymore. There's one baptism that saves We only have to be baptized one time to have the remission of our sins and to confess Christ. We see in Acts 2 and 38, we're told to be uh, repent and be baptized for the remission of our sins. In Romans 6.10, he died to sin once for all that we can have our sins forgiven. We sang earlier, heaven will surely be worth it all. No matter what we endure, no matter what temptations, what demons we have to battle, it'll be worth withstanding those things and not giving in to them. We're going to sing the song, Bring Christ, Your Broken Life. There's several ways to consider our lives being broken. One, we could be broken down completely in sorrow, being lost in sin. Or we could have some defect in our lives that would be considered broke as well that we need to get fixed and make right. Whether it's a public confession this evening, whether it's coming forward and being buried in baptism tonight, whether it's going home and making some things right, correcting some things that you've acted out on in anger, whatever the case may be, heaven will be worth it all. Make it right. And if we can assist you tonight, we would invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.